unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my
Good evening, everybody. Great to see you. Hope you got some of that rainfall because it's been glorious, hasn't it? Glad that you could be assembled with us here for our 5 p.m. Bible study and welcome everybody online. I have one announcement about some sick. Uh, June Franks Booker is very seriously ill in the ICU at University Medical Center in Jackson. She had COVID recently and uh, that developed some pneumonia and she's also suffered a stroke. So we'll be praying for her in just a moment. Uh, we have combined classes tonight because we have a special speaker, Barry Smith. Every quarter, the mission team is planning to have one of our missionary points send a representative. So we punched in for a representative and out popped Barry. Barry's gonna be sharing with us the work that is being done for us in Uganda, and that's in connection with the Foot Street Church in Corinth. Now, interesting connection. He doesn't attend the church there. He's actually a member of the Madison Church in Madison, Alabama. Well, you've probably heard me talk about that place because that's where my daughter and my son-in-law, and of course, little Millie, they are. So that was a great connection. And he's been some places I've been. So we made some connections there too. In a few minutes after our prayer, Barry will come and share with us his work. And listen, as, as he goes through that and you hear it, the mission team would appreciate very much uh, any, any input that you have about the work that is being presented here tonight. Uh, we're really reviewing all the works that we do, and we would appreciate very much just getting an idea of how you feel about the works that you hear described for you. No pressure at all. <laughs> all right, let's have our prayer, and then Barry will come and speak to us. Our Father, thank you for a beautiful day today. Thank you for the great amount of rain that has fallen, the nourishment that it provides. Thank you for our health and safety and strength. We pray, Father, for those who are sick or infirmed in some way, those who are recovering from surgeries and, and other infirmities. We just, we pray for their blessing. And there's so many here that are affected that way. Uh, we especially think of Sister June and the condition that she's in. And Father, we're just praying that she will have relief from these maladies, that if it's your will, she'll recover, but certainly that she'll receive comfort. And we pray for her family as they offer much of that and be with those who tend to her medically. We pray your blessings on Barry and his work and those who he works with and we Pray, Father, that the work of missions, whether it's his purview or wherever else your word goes, that there will be success. And Father, bless us as we do our very best to extend our influence throughout the world. We just ask your blessings on the mission team as they make decisions about what to do and bless this church as it contributes to these works. Help us all to realize that we all in some small part um, join forces with those who are the foot soldiers in this world. And 
we just pray that you'll encourage us to always be supportive of those endeavors and bless us here in Boonville as we do our very best to impact our community. Thank you for all that you'll do through these efforts and especially be with Barry as he shares his work with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Ken. I was raised in St. Louis, Missouri. My mother was baptized at a tent revival meeting at the Southside Church of Christ on the south side of the city of St. Louis in 1946. She's 95 and she lives with us where we live in Madison, Alabama. She moved in with us about three years ago when we moved her from Northeast Arkansas at 92. She said, I'm beginning to get a little scared to live by myself. Okay, mom, come down here and be with us. Thankful for that. My mother raised us in a home in St. Louis as a Christian woman raising three boys. My dad was a bartender, no joke. My dad retired from the army, drove a school bus, and tended bar all of my life. A very quick story that I love. At 86, my dad started calling our oldest brother on the telephone and saying, I have some questions about the Bible. The first time that happened, my brother called me and he said, daddy called me today. And he said uh, he had some questions about the Bible and we talked about the Bible for an hour. And I said, who is this? And he said, this is Johnny. Daddy called me today and we talked and I said, who's daddy? <laughs> I, this, I couldn't believe this, okay? Long story short, 18 months later, my brother and I drove to Walnut Ridge, Arkansas. We met our dad, my mom met us at the church building and we baptized my dad for the forgiveness of his sins. He lived about another year, and I will see him again. And my mother prayed for him for 65 years. I tell people, don't give up, don't quit, don't stop believing, because the power of God can change people's lives. I have made my living for a little over 40 years selling school yearbooks, first in the state of Georgia, we lived in the Atlanta area, and now we've been in the Huntsville area for about 15 years. Finally hung that up a few years ago. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what I'm doing in just a moment. But I want to thank you for your partnership with the Foot Street Church in Uganda Bible College. Some of you know the people who actually began that work and went to the Foot Street Church to start with years ago. Some folks from up in Tennessee. Some of you know the people at the Foot Street Church who were involved in the oversight of that, the elders and some of the others, and people like Terry Smith that have been involved in it in the past. I saw Terry's name out there on the bulletin board. I think the youth may have made a trip to you've gone to Bible College with Terry, and that's a great thing. I am blessed with my work at the Madison Church to get to go to 14 countries in Africa. I oversee work both for the Madison Church and all the work that we do. That takes me to 11 countries. And then I oversee Uganda Bible College for the Foot Street Church and another work called the Sudan Project for the Foot Street Church. And then there's a church over in South Carolina that I oversee a work for in the country of Botswana. So I'm a blessed guy. I get to, do, I get to spend time both going to places that I love and meeting people that I love and telling them about you and getting to tell you about them. And that's what I'm looking forward to tonight. So thank you. I appreciate so much the opportunity to get to be here. Now, Larry told me I only have an hour and a half, so I'm going to go fast. This is Uganda Christian Bible College. It's in an area called Jeja, okay? I might ask the question if I had time, where is Uganda? Maybe somebody would know. 
Could be a couple of you, but let's look at this real quickly first. This is what? What continent is this? Yeah, it's Africa, isn't it? We're going to do this more like a Bible class. It's okay if you talk back to me. By the way, that reminds me. I was given a time limit. So whoever wants to do this, uh, when you know that time limit is up and I don't sound like I'm quitting, stand up, you know, throw something at me, wave your arms, do whatever, okay? Because I don't want to offend people with that. If you have to get up and I'm not quite finished to go get your children, please do that as well. This is the continent of Africa. You might recognize that little blinking item right there. That is to size, by the way. That's the 48 United States overlaid on top of that northwest corner of Africa. Africa is a big continent. There's a lot of people there. That circle is around the country of Uganda. And that's where our school is. Zooming in a little bit so you can get a better idea. That part out there that looks white, that's the Indian Ocean. So we're all the way over on the other side of the continent of Africa. Okay? A little bit of a geography lesson. I've had people tell me before, though, hey, I appreciate it. I didn't know where this thing was. Now we zoomed in a little bit more. What is that that just flew in and landed on top of Uganda? Mississippi. That is relative size. Okay? Right below there, you see Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is the second largest freshwater lake in the world, only after Lake Superior. So Africa has the second largest, and it's similar in size to the state of Mississippi. So just kind of imagine a lake that's about the size of your state, and that's what you've got when you start thinking about Lake Victoria. That's the relative size of Mississippi to the country of Uganda. That's where our school is, Uganda Christian Bible College. Now, here's the reason for that. I would suspect that most of you are probably either from here or from Mississippi or at least from the southeast. I was raised in St. Louis. My parents are from Arkansas. Lived in Georgia and Alabama all of my adult life. We know where the Lord's Church is strong in the United States, don't we? If I said to you, is the Lord's Church stronger in North Dakota or Texas? How many of you could answer that question accurately? Yeah, we'd say Texas because we know that, right? Or Arkansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. I mean, we all know that. There's a reason this school is right where it is, okay? This is North Dakota, <laughs> all right? There's very, very few churches when this was first established. Very few congregations of the Lord's Church in that area. That's the reason the church is there. I mean, excuse me, the school is there. That's why we do the training where we do. Yes, if you type in on Google Maps, you go to Christian Bible College, you find us. There's a lot of argument in Africa about the source of the Nile River. About 10 miles east of our school, there's a little lake. It's not much bigger than your church property and parking lot. And out of that comes the Victoria Nile River. I think that's the source of the Nile. Nobody ever asked me. Let's go on. That's the, one of the buildings there at the school, the dormitory. Back behind it is the kitchen. This is what the classroom building looked like when I first started going. Wasn't exactly finished. Was it being used? Yes, it was being used. Now, the average temperature in the dry season in Uganda, they're right on the equator, so they don't have cold and hot like we do. They just have rainy or dry, okay? It's hot all the time. But the average heat, hot days are about 104. So it gets pretty warm. This is what that dorm building looks, excuse me, that class building looks like now. Particularly proud of that. Been able to move it into the being what it needs to be. This is a building that will be completed in a, a month. This is the second classroom building. When I ask, in those 14 countries that I travel for, for, to for mission work, when I ask, what are the two things that are the most needed? And y'all, this is from Senegal, which is all the way on the west side of Africa, out in the Atlantic Ocean, to Kenya which is on the east side of, it, of Africa in the Indian Ocean, and all the way down to South Africa. Right, Ken? 
down to down to Cape Town and and Durban and Port Elizabeth and all those cities that are all the way down at the tip. When I ask, what are the two things you need the most? This is the distant answer that I get all the time. Teaching materials, Bibles and songbooks. I hear it all the time. Everywhere. And this is the second thing. Now I have a question for some of you who have been in the church all of your life and who maybe are um, a little more advanced in age. What was one of the things that we did for our preachers, I'd say back, probably ended in the early 70s, but in the decades before that, like following World War II, what was one of the things we did to support our preachers? This is not a hard question. Churches didn't have a lot of money to pay them big salaries, so what was one of the things we did? We build them a house right next door. You've seen that, right? Almost all of us have seen that lots and lots of places. The churches there don't have the cash to do that. They don't have the money to do that. And these guys want to preach. They want to preach full-time, Larry. But they have to feed their families. Most Africans live, like in other places in the world, in a day-to-day -day existence survival environment. They wake up today, they say, what can I trade? or sell or do to make some money to get some food to feed my family today. That's how they live. So when a government says, we have a lockdown, don't leave your house. The markets are closed, the schools are closed, the highways are closed, there's a curfew from dark to daylight. How long do you think it takes for people to start getting hungry? <laughs> very very fast consequently in all of the work that I'm blessed to get to do a huge amount of our resources since this COVID pandemic started have been simply food relief for the churches and the Christians and the preachers and their families but let's forget about COVID for a minute one of these days Lord willing we're gonna to get to do that right the only place we'll see it is in the rearview mirror I'm looking forward to that I know all of you are as well so we'll be back to these things that printed material stuff and an income so they can preach. They've tried lots of things at all of the Christian schools all over the African continent. I've been to all of them. I have visited every single one of our brotherhood schools on the African continent. All of them. Even the ones that speak Arabic up in the tiny little countries that are way up near Saudi Arabia and along by that side of the continent. And they all have these same issues. So what do we do about that? Some of them have tried to train them in agriculture or fishing. They already do those things. They already know those things. So this has been beating on my brain for the last 10 years. Long story short, here's what we're going to do at Uganda Christian Bible College. First of all, Mission Printing in Dallas has provided some 40-foot containers like that orange one. We've got three of them now on the campus at the Bible College. We've had them shipped over the last five years. We had to pay the shipping cost. I don't know, eight or $9,000 is what it cost us to get them there. But everything inside of them has been donated. Our sister Betty Choate down in Winona has donated two or three or four pallets of them. Other organizations and folks that do mission work and, and printing and publications and all those within the church, all of whom you would recognize, have given us three pallets of Bibles or song books or whatever else they could do and whatever they could print. And they gather all of that at Mission Printing in Dallas and they put it on a ship and they ship it over there. And that's what you see one of those brothers there doing. 
So the preachers come by and they say, can I get things? And the president goes with them. And they open the container. They give them as many things as they can carry. And off they go back out to their village or their community to do their evangelism work. And that works okay. But that eight or $9,000 every time we get ready to ship, it's expensive. That's money that, that is a little bit hard for us to come up with from time to time. So many years ago, both being in the school yearbook business and having bought a printing business in Atlanta because I didn't know any better. I bought a printing business and it owned me for about five years. I mean, I owned it for about five years and I learned some things about printing. That may give you a clue of the first thing we're gonna do. These machines, this is called a Risso. This Risso is made in the country of South Africa. They sell them in the capital city of Uganda. That capital is called Kampala. That's a four hour drive from where Uganda Bible College is. I've already been given the money by a brother out in California to buy our first Risso machine. That money's sitting in my safe at my house. That building you looked at earlier, when that's finished, one of the rooms in there is gonna have a Risso machine in it. We've already been given about $10,000. Sounds like a lot. We'll go through that in the first 60 days to buy copying supplies, paper, and two other things that we need so that we can reproduce teaching and evangelism materials on the campus of Uganda Christian Bible College for distribution all over that part of the country. Everything you can imagine from tracks to songbooks. There's a brother in Little Rock, Arkansas right now who's getting me permission for us to take the New King James Version of the Bible, change it into the format of the size that we can deal with, and we'll start reproducing New Testaments by about January 1st so that we can distribute them over there. Now, you see all those places this is going to, right? This is over in East and Northeast Africa. Here's one of the challenges, though. Africa has 2,000 languages. Just in the area where we are over there, they speak Arabic, Swahili, French, and nine different dialects, local tribal kind of languages. Well, we've got 70 students at Uganda Christian Bible College, and all of them speak either Arabic and Swahili or Arabic and English in one of these dialects or one of these dialects in English. So two years ago, right before the pandemic happened, we put together 10 teams of three men apiece. They speak all of these different languages. They have been translating materials that Sister Betty gave us. We got from the Christian Chronicle. We got from Mission Printing in Dallas. We got from Apologetics Press in Montgomery, Alabama, and several other things spread across the Brotherhood. We now have permission to reproduce over 400 different titles of all kinds of things that these guys need in the mission field. And we're translating them into whatever appropriate languages are needed for where they're gonna take these materials. That's all gonna start happening on the campus of Uganda Bible College very, very soon. Very thankful for that. Y'all, if you look back at the history of the Lord's Church in the United States, one of the things, and I know that it was God that blessed the church and made the church spread, but one of the things that spread the news that we're trying to spread back when it happened, one of the biggest things was the printed word. It was the tracts and the newsletters and the, and the brotherhood publications that so many of us have grown up reading all of our lives. How many of us don't know what a track rack is, right? That's where Africa is now, where the U.S. was about 80 years ago in regard to the printed word. Now, they all have a cell phone, and we can talk about that in just a minute. But the printed word, I believe, is going to be key to us spreading the word 
so that the Lord can bless our efforts in all of those countries I just showed you a moment ago. Do you know that between Arabic and Swahili, we will reach 600 million people on the African continent? That's half of the population. Half. And I'm thankful for this work I get to do with the Sudan Project. Why? Because all of those guys that are from South Sudan speak Arabic. And Arabic is that language that's spoken in South Sudan and Sudan and Libya and Egypt and Morocco, all up in that area of Northeast Africa, which is where 60% of the population of Africa lives. And it's Muslim world. And right now we have trained 133 preachers who speak Arabic. We've trained them at Uganda Bible College. They can't wait to get these materials in those languages so they can take them back to their country. Most of them are just ignoring COVID. I don't care, Brother Bear. We've got to move forward. You might know what that is. You may not. It's the machine that forms this kind of a binding, right? It's called a comb binding, for those of you that don't know. This is an easy machine. We can get them in Uganda. We've already bought two of them. When that building is finished and we get our copying machine, we'll put those in there. We'll be ready to start producing things. You know, you have to fold things when you print them, right? You run them through a machine and then they come out and they have to be folded. Well, we've got 70 students, which means we have 140 folders, right? Two hands. There's our folders. It gives them something to do. They're going to school. That doesn't cost them anything. We will bind the New Testaments like that. It's a little bit different, but we'll bind them like that with that comb binding so that they'll last. Here's the second thing. How many of you have a cell phone? Now, this is participation, so put your hand up. Yeah. And most of us have smartphones, don't we? You know, I, I said that one time, and this one fellow held up his flip phone. Not me. <laughs> okay. That's fine. <laughs> but most of us have a smartphone. Well, telephones just came to the African continent in the last 15, 17 years. They don't have landlines. They have cell phones. And most of them have cell phones just like we do. Now, they're not expensive. Most of them are made in Southeast Asia, and they're very inexpensive. But they have smartphones. And you know what happens to them? The same thing that happens to ours. Do we ever drop them? You can do this if you want to. It's okay. Nobody in the church is going to feel bad toward you because you dropped your cell phone, right? What happens to them when we drop them? They look like that, don't they? Has anybody ever dropped their cell phone into water? Don't tell me where. It happens, doesn't it? And what do we do when that happens? We go buy another one or we get it fixed. The Africans have the same problem everywhere in Africa. I'm very thankful that about five or six years ago, the Lord blessed me through an association with a member of the church in Cape Town, South Africa, to meet a man who has the Samsung franchise for Cape Town. He's not a member of the church, but he's a great guy. So I started talking with him about this. Here's the end of that story. He is going to help me train, get two of our teachers at the school trained in the repair of these devices. We've already arranged with the Ugandan government to get the license for that part of Uganda where we are. Lord willing, by November 1, we will have on the campus of the school an operating both sales and repair store for cell phones. Young Africans want cell phones. They don't want to fish. They don't want to raise corn or maize, as they call it. They want cell phones and tablets, just like we do. When I asked our president to announce to the, the students, this was in February of last year, 
just ask them how many of them would want to choose the training and cell phone repair as their sort of technical track while they're there getting their Bible preaching training, right? Their Bible training. How many of them do you think raised their hands? All of them. Every one of them. So the Lord has led us to this. I'm very, very excited about it. That's one of the things that's going to be happening in that building you saw a minute ago. Not only that, because I do know these presidents and all these guys from all these other Christian colleges, we're on Zoom and, and WhatsApp and other things with each other on a very regular basis. I told a couple of them about this. Here's the immediate question. Barry, can I send one of my teachers up to your school to get trained? I said, yes, you can. Or you can send a teacher and a student for a full semester. We'll train both of them and it will only cost you this much money. We haven't come up with the exact figure yet. There are now nine brotherhood schools on the African continent that want to send somebody to Uganda Bible College to be trained as a person that can then do the same thing. Because I'm telling you folks, it's all over the country, the continent, excuse me. That's what they want to do. And I'm very excited that we're so close to it getting started. Those are things that are going to make a difference for our preacher training. Our preachers are not going to have to live on the tomatoes that somebody comes and leaves in the back seat of their car while they're speaking that Sunday. I understand that. That's a challenge. But I've been to congregations that are 10 years old on the African continent. They have 100 members and 100 more children. And their contribution is the equivalent of $2.50 on Sunday. Now I explained to them, doesn't matter. You don't need to pay them an American salary. You need to pay them commensurate with what they might be able to earn in the village where you live. And so they do that. But the point is, these men, and even their wives, if they come to the school with them, can go through that training. And they then will be qualified to do that when they finish their schooling and go back to their village. And they'll be able to open their cell phone store, do phone repair, and preach full time. And that's what we're excited about. The guy in the green and white shirt is Ron Anguaza. Ron has been a member of the church all of his life, baptized when he was 11. He's a young man. He's about a little bit over 50 years of age. Faithful, faithful, strong member of the church. These other guys are uh, teachers there at the school. The guy in the orange, the more African-looking shirt, his name is Luke. Let me tell you what I'm excited about in regard to Luke. When the pandemic came, I called the elders at Foot Street. I said, guys, we sent everybody home. We're not going to be spending the money we normally would spend to feed them and house them and do the evangelism campaigns and all that during this time. Let's take that money do something else we've needed to do for the school for a very, very long time. What is that, Barry? We need two guys to get their master's degrees at a level commensurate with the U.S. institution. Outstanding. Let's do that. And that's what we're doing. And now Luke and one other teacher that's not in this picture are right halfway through earning their master's degrees in an online program with Fried Hardeman. This is going to qualify the school for all kinds of things with the Ugandan government. And obviously the knowledge that Luke and Brian are gaining will be passed on to our students who are becoming pillars in the church in Uganda and all of those countries I showed you a moment ago. Very excited we've been able to do that for these guys. All of them are getting the bicycle when they arrive. The bicycles, somebody asked me this, so I'm just gonna say it. It's not so much an appeal as it is information. Barry, how much does it cost to give one of these guys a bicycle? 
These are very, very tough, very strong bicycles. And they get two extra tires and an extra chain, which they normally carry with them. Because you see three weekends a month while school is in session. These guys pair up and they take off from the school to go do evangelism work. And they're told by the, one of the teachers at the school which village to go to. He chose those villages because they don't have a church there. These guys are given the equivalent of $2 each. And they're told, go there for the weekend and evangelize. And they do. And since the school started, there have been almost 60 congregations established by that effort alone. It's also where we get a lot of our students. So the bicycles are just invaluable to them. They'll ride 70, 80, 90, 100 miles on Friday. Evangelize for the weekend. Meet with those brethren if there are some there. Find some or they baptize some on Sunday morning. Teach them about what they need to do. And then they'll ride that 100 miles back on that bicycle on Sunday afternoon. Go right back into class on Monday morning. The bicycles are absolutely invaluable to them. What do you eat when you go to Uganda? Well, when I'm there, this is what they eat. You might be able to tell what this is. You may not. That looks like potatoes. It's not potatoes. Those are beans. They look like beans, and they are beans. That's a, a cabbage that they grow on the property. There's a little bitty piece of meat back there in the back. Now, I said they eat this when I'm there. Because when I'm there, I make sure we buy some meat, and we buy some beans. Otherwise, they eat cabbage and perhaps some of that thing that's the white stuff. Now, some of you may know this, but you may not. In Africa, there are two staple foods. In West Africa, it's rice. In East Africa, it's what we call corn. They grow maize. They take it to a grinder. They grind it down into a powder, and they make this food, if you're in Uganda, called ugali. It's a little bit like a pretty dry dumpling, I think is the best way to describe it. Okay? And there's a great big bunch of it being made in the kitchen, getting ready to cut it up into pieces and give it to them. A lot of the times, this is all they eat that day, is ugali. I like to buy beans for them as often as I can. Give them a little bit of variety. They don't complain. They're thankful to have the ugali. This is the kitchen. That's charcoal that they use. It takes about one of those bags per week. Some of our graduates, they all get Bibles. They have graduation, and they like graduation just like we do. Grandma and Grandpa come, and, and their brother and their sister come, and their, their, their aunts and their uncles show up. This graduation itself was in 2018. We graduated 16, and we had 950 people on campus. This school is making an impact in the area where it is. The community knows this school. They know the people. They know the students. One of the ways we do that locally is we run our generator every day for two hours for the specific reason to run the pump so that we can fill these giant tanks that we have up on these towers. And everybody in the community knows all they have to do is come by there and bring their, their buckets and they can get water out of those things. Consequently, the campus, the congregation that meets on the campus regularly spills out and is 200 plus all of the time. We know that within a five mile radius of the campus, there are a dozen congregations that didn't exist before the school started. And people are being taught and they're teaching their children. I tell people in Africa, especially when I meet with a congregation of three or four or eight, that maybe is two years old, maybe they're struggling a little bit, I tell them about Madison. You might say, well, Barry, why do you do that? That might be a discouragement to you. There's 1,200 of us. And in Madison County, there's 25 churches. There's one that's larger than we are. 
There's a dozen of them that have 500. They said, why would you tell people that? I said, because I tell them this story. The Madison Church is 150 years old. But about 160 years ago, there weren't any churches of Christ in Madison County, Alabama or Huntsville. But somebody probably got on a horse. I'm going to guess from the Nashville area and rode down into Alabama and they knocked on the door until they found one person that said, I'll study the Bible with you. And they studied them and they were obedient to the truth and the Lord's church was established. And look where it is today. And then I asked them this question. Would you like for your grandchildren to be able to worship with a thousand people and to be in a youth group where there's two or three, four hundred kids that are their age? What do you think they say every time? Yes, I would. And I say, great, then just keep doing what you're doing. There's seven of you. Each one of you put it in your heart that in the next 12 months, you're going to find one person that will study the Bible. If you can't do it, you're going to find one person that the preacher can study the Bible. with. Just one. That's all. Don't find two. Just find one. And it will be that way, and your grandchildren will be blessed that way. Folks, the story, I'm sure the history is true as well. In Mississippi, one of the places where the Lord's church is everywhere. But somebody had to start it in the Ken. Somebody had to say, I'm going to go find one person to study with. And that's teach our students one at a time. You plant, let the Lord bring the increase. There's always, of course, lots of children. That slide was up there a moment ago. I could tell you at least 50 stories about people, but I'm going to tell you two very quickly and then I'll be finished. I have no idea what time it is. Does anybody need to wave a flag or throw something at me? Nope. Sorry? Ten minutes. I can do that. This is William. William is from South Sudan. Here's the simple story about William. William heard a gospel preacher, one of the guys that was on evangelism campaign. William obeyed the gospel. The problem was William, who was an orphan and living with his aunt and his uncle up in the country of South Sudan, lived with a Muslim family. When his uncle found out William had baptized, he had the police come and arrest William. And they took him to prison. Every night for three weeks, William was beaten. He was 15. Finally, at the end of three weeks, the police just came in there one morning and said, you can leave. And William left. And one of his uncles met him out on the road outside of the prison. He said, don't go home. Why not? I need to go home. He said, because you're going to be killed. You see, one of the things that happens within the Islamic faith is that if you don't like what your child has done, you don't kill your child. You have your brothers do it. And his uncle told him, you're going to be killed. William turned around the other way and started walking south. About six days later, he made it to the Uganda border. They wouldn't let him cross because he didn't have papers. He didn't have identification. He didn't know anybody. He didn't know where he was going. So William disappeared back on the road later on that night when it was dark. He went a couple of miles down the border and he snuck across the border and he came into Uganda. And the first village he came to, he said, I'm trying to find a church of Christ. I'm trying to find a church of Christ. I'm trying to find a church of Christ. Finally, somebody told him, oh, there's one in this village over here. He went over to that village. He found the preacher. He told him the story. He said, William, you need to go to the Bible school. I met William when he was a student at Uganda Bible College. Now he was 17. I said to William, William, this is fantastic. I'm proud of you. I'm so excited for your faith. You're such an inspiration to me. What do you want to do after you graduate? Brother Barry, I'm going back to my village. Your village where? My village is South Sudan. And I kind of took two steps back, right? Now, what, do you, what question do you think I asked William? 
Isn't that dangerous? Why would you go back there, right, Larry? Why would you do that? Well, brother, the Bible teaches me not to be afraid. And my people need to know the gospel. William is a product of Uganda Christian Bible College. You helped train William. There's now a congregation in that village. William has baptized four of his family members. Not the aunt and the uncle yet, Ken, but he's working on them. And they've agreed to just leave him alone. Congregation's about 25. He's not yet 20. This guy's a good investment. I could tell you that story 50 times with different names. Similar kinds of responses. That shows where he was from. Let me tell you about Jimmy. Jimmy's a Ugandan. The guys took off, two of them took off one weekend. They went way over to western Uganda. This would be kind of like leaving Boonville and going to, I don't know, way over in uh, western Louisiana somewhere, right? They had to be taken over there, ride a bus, do something. Went to this village, no church there, no Christians there whatsoever. Started knocking on doors. They found Jimmy. Jimmy was interested. Jimmy studied the Bible with him. They baptized Jimmy that weekend. They said, Jimmy, you need to come to the Bible school. Jimmy arranged his affairs, and the next time a term started at Uganda Bible College, Jimmy was there. What I'm about to show you, Jimmy would be embarrassed if he knew I was even telling this story. He'll probably go online and look at this, and that's okay. Next time I go over there, he'll throw something at me, and then he'll hug my neck. I love him. He's an amazing young man. He was an orphan. He didn't have any family there either. What I'm about to show you, though, in very rapid-fire succession, are one half of the baptisms that Jimmy has been responsible for since January of this year. Not only has Jimmy been responsible for all of those, today I got a WhatsApp message from Jimmy. Today. And here's what Jimmy said. Brother, baptized 11 more after worship this morning. I'm so excited. 11 more. I did tell Jimmy I'm going to start sending you vitamins if you're going to keep baptizing people like this lady. He said, brother, I got her. Does anybody recognize what this lady's doing? She's sewing. Can you see the electric power cord for her sewing machine? What do you see instead? Her feet. My grandmothers both had one of those. Most of y'all did too, right? You know what? If you want that machine that your grandmother had, I know where they are. They're all in Africa. <laughs> this lady is a member of the church. They met her on one of the evangelism weekends. She lives in a village about about 30 minutes away from the school. She has no children. She has no family. She's a faithful member of the church. She works as a tailor. About every other month, she gets in touch with the president of the college. She said, Brother Roan, you need to come see me. Brother Roan makes a trip over there to see her. And every time he does, she gives him a little envelope. And he gets back to the school and he opens it up. And it's usually got somewhere around thousand Ugandan shillings in it now unless any of you work in the New York Stock Exchange you may not know what the trade is on the US dollar right now but anybody want to guess at about how much money that is US 12,000 Ugandan shillings it's about two dollars and ten cents and she is faithful in giving that money to the school to train preachers don't you love that heart? I could tell you that story over and over and over. Let me show you some photos just very, very quickly. Things in Africa are different. They tend to overload vehicles. 
what I'm really surprised about, and you can't quite see in that picture, is about nine people on top of that thing. I used to think, where's the helicopters? How did they get them up there? But they do, because they get to ride and transport from town to town. It doesn't cost them anything. You can see a little bit. There's a guy on the right side on a motorcycle. That gives you a little bit of an idea of the size of it. You never know what you're going to see on the side of the road when you travel in Africa. We don't exactly see these, do we, when we're driving down the interstate or on the way to Memphis or you know, whatever. But that's a pretty regular sighting, especially in Uganda. Anybody know what that is? A lady in St. Louis told me about three weeks ago, that's a guardrail. I said, yes, ma'am, that's a guardrail. I just didn't even go any further than that, right? Baboons, pretty regular side of the road. Typical African village It's where a lot of these guys come from. They grew up in places just like this. And we bring them and teach them the truth. And they can't wait to graduate and go back to their village to be a preacher there. This is typically one of the ways that people might make a living. This lady probably makes a great living. Airtel and MTN and Afracel, which you probably can't read in those signs, those are the cell phone companies in Uganda. Every cell phone in Africa is a prepaid cell phone. You buy airtime ahead of time, okay? So that's one of the things we buy and give to our teachers and preachers all the time. And this lady is cleaning up her place, getting ready to start business in the morning. Um, this river is significant because those of you that have been studying the Bible all your life, you've said the name of this thing several times. It's the Nile River. That's the river that comes out I showed you earlier, the White Victoria Nile. The termite mounds are rather large in northern Uganda. Yes, that's real. It's not Photoshop. I could do that in Photoshop, but I didn't. This one is real, okay? But this is the thing that really makes a difference to me. That little boy's name is Lieb. That is an exact quote copied from a message sent to me by the preacher that took some food relief to this congregation in this village where Lieb lives. I didn't change the English. You read it, you get the message, right? What was he doing? I asked the preacher. He was counting the bags of food that were going to be distributed. That's that ground corn meal that they make the ugali from and a little bitty bottle of oil. He said, and then he turned and he walked over to all the sisters that were standing there waiting for some food relief and he started counting them. One, two, three, four. After he counted them, he went back over to the bags. One, two, three, four. And he told Omirambi, our brother that preaches there, faithful preacher, faithful member of the church, there's not enough. Omirambi thought he meant there's not enough bags for all the people. He was telling our preacher, there's not enough people. This is a lot of food. We need to bring some more people. And then he told him one day he's going to be a preacher. Your investments at Uganda Bible College are well worth it. Now, we may need to turn this up. This is Name That Tune. Okay, I know you know these songs. We got to turn it up, please. Please turn it up. Wait, wait up. Keep turning it up. Now listen, first person that can tell me what song it is, raise your hand. What is it? Now you got to stop it, brother, because I can't hear <laughs> Sorry. That's exactly what it is. This guy was not a Christian. You can turn it down, brother, thank you. This guy was not a Christian four years ago. Now, he is preaching at a church that he established in his village 
in the western part of the northern part of Uganda, way over against the border with the country of Congo. And he has almost 60 people in worship every Sunday. He's the guy. He's the preacher. He's the song leader. He leads the prayers. He does the Lord's service. Because I mean, the Lord's Supper. Because there's not another Christian there that has been a Christian long enough to either be willing to do it or to know enough about what they're doing. He's never even been to the Bible school. He wants to come. So when the Ugandan government allows open school again, one of the things we're going to do is find two graduating students who will go from the school when they graduate. It's going to take about six weeks to finish their last term. They're going to go to this village and teach and preach and work with this congregation so that he can come to the Bible school. And he's anxious to do that. This is the website. My son has just finished it. It'll be launched very, very shortly. And I'll send the information when that's live. Oh, let's go on. How, what is this word? I'm almost finished, I promise. What word is that? Come on, I'm in Mississippi. I know what y'all know what that word is. I heard it. Say it again. Okay, here's what it is. What y'all going to do for Thanksgiving? We're going to Mom or Nan. Right? Now, is that the only in Alabama? I don't think so. Right? We're going to Mom or Nam's. What y'all going to do Sunday after church? Oh, we're going to Mom or Nam's. Now, I'm being silly, but here's why I'm doing this. I am thankful for the Boonville Church and for what you do to support Uganda Christian Bible College. We are doing a lot, and we're about to do a lot more. We'd have already would have started our third year of schooling to advance the kingdom even further there had COVID not come. But we've used that opportunity, like I said, to educate two of our teachers, get them further where they need to be, and do some other advancements on the school. But folks, I need a favor. Nobody can introduce me to the church where you grew up if it's not this one, like you can. Nobody can help me make contact with missions committees or an elder or the preacher or somebody at the church where your mom and dad worship, where you grew up somewhere better than you can. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take my information and help me. Just help me make a contact. It won't cost them anything. Even if I go and speak and tell them about the work, it won't cost them anything. And we need some folks to partner with us. We need some more people. We need some folks to catch this vision. I'm telling you that I believe this printing operation can change Northeast Africa. We can reach 600 million people. Do you know that we can print a New Testament there for a dollar and a quarter? A dollar and a quarter. And the cheapest one we can buy in the country of Uganda is $11. A dollar and a quarter. And that's just one part of it. So please think about that. Please pray about that. I'm not asking the Boonville Church to give more. Y'all sacrifice and give already. If that choice is made in the future, that's fine. But I am asking you to help me make connection with other congregations and other churches that you know. That's where I'm going to leave this. My dad laughed at the church. Made fun of the church, made fun of my mom, all the years that they were raising us. 
And it wasn't until we were gone, and I'm the youngest of three boys, until I've been gone 20 years from home, and my mom and dad separated. And both of them ended up moving back down to the little towns in Arkansas where they were from, from the St. Louis area. All those years, my dad acted that way, treated that way. He was a violent man, a rough, cursing, physical man. But when he called my brother and said, I, need, I have some Bible questions I need to ask you. Once he reached the point where he knew he needed to be baptized, this is what my, my dad said to my brother. I get it that God can forgive me. I understand that. And I'm thankful for it. And I want to be baptized, but there's one thing that I cannot wrap my head around. And that is how you boys and your mom can forgive me for the life that I lived. And my brother, who was an elder at the time in the Nashville area, this is the way he answered him. Daddy, there's nothing for us to forgive you for. Mom taught us to do that 40 years ago. And my dad said, I need to be baptized. That's mission work in Arkansas. Do we need to do mission work domestically? Ken, does this church need to be reaching out to Boonville? Absolutely, of course, right? Does this church need to be reaching out to this county? Of course. To Mississippi? Of course. I tell the folks the same thing at the Madison Church. But what I get to do is to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm thankful for that. And we could not do it without people like yourselves, some who will never go to Uganda. On this side of the Jordan River, you may never meet William or Omarambi or Peter or Hakim or Roan or any of the rest of these people. But I choose to believe that when we are on the other side of the Jordan River, Roan will walk up to some of you and he will say, Larry, thank you, brother. You just don't know what you did in our country by supporting our work at the Bible College. I believe that my dad as a member of the Lord's church, was forgiven of his sins, and I will see him again on the other side of the Jordan because of the faithfulness of my mother and by the blessings of God. And I'm telling you that that is the kind of preachers and preachers' wives that we are developing at Uganda Bible College. And you're part of it, a big part of it. That's your work, and I thank you for that. Would you bow with me and I'll be finished. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for my mother. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for her conviction and the conviction that remains even now when I leave to go to Africa and she says, you be careful. <laughs> Father, I thank you for the other mothers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and grandfathers and moms and dads right here in this church who have the same conviction and the same determination to spread the gospel with their own families and then reaching out as far as they possibly can. Bless all of us, Father, with not only opportunity, but please continue to bless us as you do with the means to empower other people to spread the gospel. Finally, Father, 
I complete this prayer by asking you to help us move past this pandemic that has gripped the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.